This is Michael Byrne and you're listening to the Let's Talk podcast where we help people to gain a better understanding of mental illness and hear firsthand from a survivor of multiple traumas so you can be free from the past and get on with your life. Welcome to the podcast. is just that almost like that first step in opening up and being comfortable about talking about your mental health and saying do you know what it is okay I've had a struggle and what I kind of say to employers is that when you have an employee who's struggling with their mental health it's not the end of the road for, for them far from it it's just like every other illness the proper help the proper guidance they'll be back to being their productive self one of the things we spoke about the presenteeism uh, was you know that if an organisation has a sickness rate of 3%, they have an attendance rate of 97%, which is often overlooked by employers. They will concentrate on reducing the 3% down to 2.9, 2.8. And, I, you know, I'm forever saying that that is the law, of, the absolute law of diminishing returns. You invest so much money into your organisation to get 0.1% of a return. Whereas it's a well-known and established fact that if you concentrate on the 97% who attend your workplace, by default, some of those people are attending work when they're incapable of being at top productivity because they're going in when they might have, you know, they've got life issues going on, as we call them. But they're turning up for work every day, but you're not getting the most out of them. And they're turning up for work every day, maybe resentful and thinking, I wish somebody would help me and so on. And, but, and what I say is that if you offer them our services, the statistics show that for every one pound you spend on the well-being of your staff, your return will be between 50 and 900%. That is absolutely not the law of diminishing returns. That, you know, concentrating on presenteeism leads to increased productivity and leads to increased profits for the organisation. Why would you not want to do that? I, I, did, I did this um, talk uh, at Glasgow, one of the Glasgow Radisson hotels. There was 500 people in the audience. And I'd done uh, about 20, 30 minute talk and came off stage and a massive standing ovation and, and kind of being a Glasgow boy that's kind of very uncomfortable you know because you kind of just want people to sit down and a round of applause will do and um, so about five minutes later uh, when uh, I think there was a choir sp- uh, singing five minutes later I caught this chap out the side of my eye kind of looking over uh, at the table I was sitting at and then he approached me and he came over and said to me that was incredible I need help can you help me and I was blown away. And I gave him my business card and said, look, you know, forget what the business details are. My phone number and my email is on that. Contact me because I absolutely can't help you. Uh, so I met him. And first of all, he said, you know, I would never have done this without you. Uh, you're incredibly brave to do that. But the first thing I said to him was, actually, you're more brave than me. I said, because when I was breaking down, I couldn't approach anyone and ask for help. And yet, in front of 500 people, You've approached me, a guy you've never known and only seen talk on stage. You've approached me and asked for help. That's far braver than I'd ever been in my life. And um, so we then started working together. Um, we had several conversations, several meetings, and it turned out that the chap 
had had major difficulty in his early life. Um, he had been sexually abused as a young child and found it difficult in confidence and a whole lot of things growing up. And I think he was in his 30s uh, when we had that chat, uh, and it was only about six months ago. Um, within about 10 days and after a couple of conversations, I invited him along to one of my men's groups. And it was a Thursday evening in Glasgow, and it was pouring down, okay? And it was in this pub that I spoke about. Um, now, during the conversation, we were all just chatting, and then it kind of got to Stephen's turn. We uh, got to the chap's turn, and um, he started to tell his story. And it transpired that's the first time he'd ever told his story to anyone other than myself. And he spoke maybe for about 20 minutes, and then he finished. And the first thing I said to him was, look outside the window, it's still raining. The world hasn't stopped. And there's 10 other guys sitting here who haven't run away, who don't look at you like, you know, uh, there's a real difficulty here, and we're all here to support you. And you could see the physical change in the man. Um, he was so relieved, the smile was broad, and things changed from that night. Uh, I drove him to the train station to get his train home, and, you know, he couldn't say enough. And within a couple of days, he then messaged me asking me if I could help him set up a support group for, for men in his local area. Um, which I've done and I've subsequently met him quite a few times since. So it absolutely just comes about through the power of talking. People often ask me, what's, what's the secret in what you do? Um, and I say, you know, like, talking's the most basic form of communication. But in men, we tend to have that taken away from us at an early age and almost taken down a road of these are the only things that you can talk about and these are the things you can't really talk about. But actually, when you start seeing that 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 road is actually a motorway that leads to loads of destinations and you can talk about anything. You know, and most of us have something uh, in our past. Some of us are confident enough now to talk about it and some of us haven't reached that stage yet. And I definitely wish that, uh, you know, I get asked quite a lot, why do you do what you do? And I, I always say the same thing. And I do what I do because I wish there had been someone like me when I was younger. Because if I'd known someone like me who had so much experience of trauma and so on, I would have spoken to them because they would have been non-academic and not a threat. It could almost just have been like a bloody sort of thing where, like, you know, my father's murdered, I'm feeling this, I've lost all confidence and so on. Is that, is that how it meant to feel? Is that okay to feel that way? Have, do you have experience of that? Um, and for someone to almost say, you're not alone, and it is okay. Um, so that's kind of... That's a, a classic example of, um, you know, how it really works. And it's a completely anonymous man who just contacted me after doing a talk, you know, and, the, and I sat in my seat. But there's barely a day goes past that I don't get contacted by people either asking me for direct help or saying, you know, a family member contact me, say, you know, I'm struggling to communicate with my son. He's got this, he's got that, but I can't talk to him. And it goes back to what I said. And they won't be able to communicate because they don't understand that language of trauma. They haven't been to that destination. Their son is the person in that bar looking for the other person to talk to. Uh, and I'm contacted, you know, because more and more I am that person who speaks that language. Um, and it's not the parents' fault. It's not anyone's fault that they can't understand it. If you haven't, you know, if you haven't taken German lessons, I haven't been to Germany, you can't talk German. My, my kind of slogan at this stage is that I'm trying to change the culture of mental health in the workplace one boardroom at a time. Um, that's absolutely where I am just now. Uh, I work a lot with um, big corporate organisations to try and change their culture towards mental health in the workplace. 
and that's specifically done from my own lived experience of both being uh, a director within a corporate organisation, but also someone who has vast lived experience of mental health and also went through a mental health breakdown. So I can see, I can see it from a business and a corporate point of view and their business needs, but I absolutely can see it firsthand from the needs of an employee who's struggling with their mental health. And it's about bringing those two together. Well, that's where cultural change really begins because, you know, in any, in any discussion, you know, the employer has a business need and I'm sure the employee, you know, we could have a conversation, the employee would probably like every Friday afternoon off to deal with their mental health, but that's not practical. But what are the practical things that we can develop in a strategy and so on going forward? How would an employee like to inform the employer that we're struggling with their mental health? And so on. And that's where we go. It's just about having those conversations, changing that culture one boardroom at a time. Absolutely. I'd, I'd done a talk a couple of weeks ago to the Chartered Institute Housing. There was, on, there was about 100 young professionals in that room. Uh, and it was perfect because, you know, pretty much my opening statement to them was they are the future. They are the future decision makers in organisations and future culture makers in organisations. Uh, and they, those boys and girls, men and women, will be the ones who can determine, listen, see if somebody in my organisation is struggling with their mental health. Here's, here's the model that I would like it to be. So I think it is changing. Certainly I wanted to change. You know, I have a young son and I absolutely want him to grow up in an environment where it's absolutely okay to talk about mental health. And one of the things that I often talk about um, is that, you know, 15 years ago, if anyone was diagnosed with cancer, it was often referred to as the big C. You didn't want to say the word because you thought you were going to get it. It was contagious. You would get it if you said cancer. So it was hidden. Nobody really wanted to talk about it. And, um, but now more people survive cancer than not. And everyone speaks quite openly about it. And I think that's where we are with mental health now. People are now beginning to talk about it. It used to be a couple of years back, it was, oh, that person's not right or something. You know, it is more acceptable. And I, and I hope that, certainly with me doing my talks and getting up and talking in front of 500 people, and as I said, particularly as a man, to stand up and say, I've been broke. I did myself no favours. I didn't listen to my own advice and so on. But... Um, Here's some of the lessons that can be learned, and it is incredibly empowering for people to think, so a guy standing up there telling his story, and I can learn those lessons as well. So I think it is changing. You know, I am a, the biggest issue for me when I was growing up and not talking about my mental health was the fear of judgment. Absolute, 100% fear of judgment. And now I absolutely don't have that fear of judgment because of my breakdown, because I've came through it. Now I'm, you know, it's the complete dichotomy of what I used to be from being really closed, I wouldn't know what to talk about, all the stuff I've been through, to now this is my life. And it's cathartic, but actually what it is is to actually be in some way a bit of a role model for people who struggle with their mental health. There are no positive role models really for anyone who has complex PTSD or PTSD. The social role model, the social model that we see on television and in the media is, tends to be that someone who's PTSD is a threat to society. On the televisions and dramas and so on, but if you met me, as you've just said, you know, the picture of what you see in me is, tends to be a big, happy, confident, smiley guy, and the whole point of society just now in that we judge on what we see. And when I do my talks, I deliberately go down that road, turn up smart, just exactly as an employment, open up, and then within a couple of minutes, I openly tell people that, you know, I'm this, I'm that, blah, 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 bit of a joke, carry on but I've got a mental illness. And you could hear a pin drop because people think he can't have a mental illness because he's got a suit, a shirt and a tie on. He's having a laugh with his, he looks, you know, his hair looks all right, he looks, he can't have a mental health illness. And that's the message that, you know, and then I'll tell them, go through the story and so on. 
you never know what's going on in people's minds and that's the story. How we sometimes portray ourselves is disingenuous because we're struggling inside. We're just trying to portray an image that you'll think I'm okay because I'm happy smiley. But I actually am now. Back in those days, you would still have thought the same, but I would have been pleading with myself to not let that mask slip. But now I actually am. That's it for today, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Please also like and share this episode on social media with your friends, family and colleagues and anyone who you think may benefit from getting this incredible insight into better mental health. If you have any comments or questions, then get in touch by emailing me at michael at livedexperiencetraumasupport.com. Thanks very much. I'm Michael Byrne from Lived Experience Trauma Support.